Welcome everybody to episode 8 of the Indian Diaspora podcast. Uh, today we have the full cohort here. Uh, I'm Vijay and I'm joined by Neeraj, Vishwas and Shashi. And today we're going to talk about a topic that uh, many of us have been involved in, which is the idea of uh, doing work where we are. At, I'm in the US, Neeraj is in the US, Shashi is in the UK. Vishwas has traveled across the globe quite a bit and worked with clients across the globe. So the idea of uh, being able to set up a business uh, somewhere in the US or UK, but having operations also in India, having potentially a, uh, a separate entity in India that's working with you or setting up a captive entity. Uh, what does it entail? Um, many of us who are sort of in our second life of our careers are uh, experimenting with this. Neeraj, I know you've uh, been doing this for quite a while. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of people who are interested in figuring out Hey, when I want to go it on my own, I want to set up my own business uh, and potentially use talent uh, out of India or perhaps other places, but we'll keep this uh, focused on India. Um, what does it entail? What are the challenges? Uh, uh, and maybe some of the modalities of doing that. Uh, when I was uh, in India for three years uh, in the 2012 to 2015 timeframe, uh, I was part of my company's India entity. So that was a company that had been established many years ago in India. But we also had uh, research centers in India, uh, very focused mostly on software, uh, which were sort of, kept, I would say, captive entities. These were entities that were funded from headquarters in the US, uh, and they had to work in a different way and were treated differently from entities that were uh, incorporated in India and where I guess we call it a JV or something like that. So uh, I've been through that at least in that capacity, uh, even managing some teams like that uh, at some point in my career. Uh, but now I'm actually also exploring some ideas where it might make sense to have teams in the US as well as in India and uh, sort of struggling through how to do it. So that's the nature of the conversation today. I know everybody has some experience with this, uh, but knowing that Neeraj, you're actually doing this today and probably doing it quite successfully, uh, maybe I'll uh, start with you. Uh, what are the first thoughts that come to mind when you think about this and maybe uh, start telling us a little bit about what it what it entailed for you? Sure. So I've been doing, I, I opened my company in India in uh, December 2013 and uh, actually uh, first quarter 2014. So one of the things I would say, you know, we see all these news flashes and the ease of doing business in India has gone up or down. I'll tell you from my personal experience, those rankings don't matter. You know, those are relative rankings between multiple countries where things might have changed or not. In India, ease of doing business 10 years back is still the same as right now. Now, relatively, it might have become better than few countries. That's a different thing. So that said, it's not a mountainous task. It's not a task that where you have to, you know, do too much. The One of the things I... You know, when I did that, I was like, okay, what do I need to do? So I went online, did a basic search, and started my company in India. As I went along, and I want to emphasize this, as you go along, you will find out that there were things that you were supposed to do that you did not do. There's nothing wrong in it. As long as you can find the right people and kind of fix those. So I'll start my journey. Okay, Q4, Q4 of 2013. I'm flying back and forth between India and U.S. trying to set up a company. And one of the things that we asked, like, okay, 
what does it need we need a place we need a we need people and we need computers because they're going to work on computers and i think that's a basic setup you need to find the right place you need to find the right people to not only work to help you and hey basic infrastructure i think that's a good start and as we started setting up company and we realized okay in order to set up company we need to get these licenses i had zero clue about those licenses and over the time i learned it and we as we went along we got license a license b license c and it turns out oh for license c we now need to pay penalty of uh, $2000 okay sure why not we'll pay that uh, you you go in with the people and you find out and actually i had a good support when i started my company but i need a company secretary who will handle all the paperwork i need an accountant who knows how to do the accounting in india it's not going to be niraj's uh, excel spreadsheet in the united states and uh, and i also need a labor consultant who would guide us on questions like what is the minimum wages what is the benefits we need to give so when i started sounded like a whole complete hodgepodge the word indian word khichdi right but over the time in 8 years i've built a process i've actually helped three or four friends set up their own company in india actually i'm also working with my clients set up their own company in india so the summary of this is and i will get into details as as we go along is if you want to start a company in india go ahead and do it things will come along things will come along whether it's about space utilities benefits salaries people just go ahead and do it and even though we hear all these stories about things that are happening in india indian labor force is actually much more dedicated to their work there are few bad apples but all all in all you know general the indian workforce is very dedicated to the work you uh, you you know take to india and have them do it um, of course there's always competitors pulling uh, or, or other industries pulling the people out but it is a very nice place to set up business in terms of labor pool in terms of cost advantage and in terms of the hours so i have clients in us my office is in india which means i can actually pull two shifts i can pull a us shift and i can pull an india shift so especially for india i am actually very very bullish you know it, it it's a place to go and set up your business it's a place to get started if you are always thinking about it i have friends that are doing it in philippines south africa uh, other parts of uh, africa like uganda and kenya they are doing in latin america uh, caribbeans i've explored multiple options uh, there are pros and cons for each one of them but i think I'll, my heart always goes back to india Yeah, that's a great introduction, and uh, already a few questions uh, based on what you said. But uh, I think the I think your main point is the process may look a little opaque in the beginning, but there's lots of support, and just go ahead and do it, and it, you can figure it out. Um, let me let me uh, uh, turn towards Vishwas. I know Vishwas, you've uh, uh, done a lot of work abroad, but also you have been part of uh, consulting establishments and companies that were. doing work in india for clients abroad so what are your first impressions on on the process of setting all this up and maybe even the the way that work gets done yeah thanks vijay so uh, the context uh, for me has been that uh, 
Uh, I have uh, had an opportunity to set up uh, teams in India uh, as part of uh, consulting firms that have served large multinational firms in US and Europe. I have also had a chance to uh, set up a business in India uh, in pursuit of that. Uh, and and uh, I think uh, Neeraj has uh, uh, done a, a, a pretty good summary of you know what all it involves. Uh, the main uh, thing the, being that you know the, a lot of this can be handled by you if you get the right people, say for example, as your company secretary and and someone to take care of your labor. And I also share Neeraj's uh, optimism about India. So my you know that is something that I would. Uh, emphasize on. So there is a, uh, you know, you, once you get your uh, uh, staffing right, if you get the right people in and there is no shortage of them in India, uh, they uh, will pretty much take care of the business side in terms of what you need, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, consulting or whether it is analytics or whether it is research or or some of the other areas that uh, uh, India has become famous in terms of services. Now, uh, another thing I'd like to point out is that this is something, this is an area that a number of uh, people who are looking at entrepreneurship will probably also consider, you know, what we are discussing today. Uh, because the 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 important thing is that India has a low cost base and it will remain a low cost base for the foreseeable future. And and with this low cost base comes a workforce with pretty high level of competence and English proficiency. And uh, that makes, especially US, a very attractive uh, uh, service destination for the output of, of this workforce. Uh, and then, you know, there, then there, there are some, some things that I have seen that uh, are more wrinkles rather than the big things that Neeraj mentioned, but I will uh, uh, will, will uh, talk a little bit about them as well. So usually there are some cultural differences that, uh, that people should be mindful of uh, because services are very communication intensive and uh, cultural differences can can get in the way of uh, 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 some of the work because it relies on communication. So, for example, uh, I've seen that, uh, you know, culturally, uh, even our, at senior supervisor levels, uh, people in India are very reluctant to say no, uh, which can be a problem uh, the, uh, because... If you don't say no, then usually it is interpreted as a yes in uh, by by people in uh, in in say U.S. or Europe, and uh, and some other aspects of communication. For for uh, for example, uh, if you if you are asked a question, you know you, you people typically don't answer in the first sentence. They bury their answer or they they give a process answer that doesn't really answer a question. For example, how how's your How's your project going? You know, you say that a straightforward answer would be that, you know, it's going fine and then you can give details. But uh, a number of times in India, the details follow first and, and then the answer gets buried later on. So these are some of the things that can 
seriously and sometimes not get in the way uh, of, of the services that come out of India. But uh, if we take care of these smaller uh, uh, aspects, and I, I would call them smaller, if we take care of them, then by and large, there is a lot of uh, potential that we can use for, uh, you know, for, for the work that can be done out of India. Very cool. And uh, this is very aligned, uh, Vishwas. Uh, I think the last few things you said about cultural differences. I think this is uh, very aligned with some of the trainings that uh, company, uh, companies give to their people when they uh, work with people abroad. I think it's a very important part of doing business. I myself went through some of those training sessions in my last company uh, where uh, I had to map my profile relative to sort of cultures across the world. It was a three-sided triangle and, uh, uh, you know, Germany, Austria, et cetera, were seen as very linear, straight, you know, we mean what we say and we just get it across. But as you went to the other ends of the triangle, you had cultures where it was not, you know, easy for people to just say, <laughs> say it directly. And so you had to sort of interpret what they were saying. And it was really funny because I thought I was born in India, so I'd end up somewhere in the middle of the triangle. I ended up very close to, you know, where the U.S. and Germany, et cetera, were. So very important to keep that in mind, I think, uh, when setting up the business, as well as in all the interactions that happen. Um, let me uh, take this to Shashi. Shashi, uh, you've uh, obviously done a lot of big projects in uh, TFL and in other places, and I'm sure you've had opportunity to potentially work with uh, contract firms in India. And then I know that you do a lot of work in India, a lot of it pro bono. You're working with a lot of people in the public sector there. Uh, talk about a little bit of your experiences in working with uh, uh, teams in India and potentially even uh, doing some work there. So, Vijay, I mean, it's been fascinating listening to Neeraj and Vishwas. Uh, I mean, I don't have any experience of setting up a business in India. So this has all been very interesting. I do do quite a lot of work in India. Uh, and I mean, for the last 15 years, I've done uh, quite a bit but all of it's been pro bono and all of it's largely been working with the government, uh, both central and many state governments. I mean, some of what Neeraj and Vishwas have explained, I think is true of my experience as well. The scale of opportunity in India is just of a different order of magnitude. You know, I mean, I've been in London for many years. Uh, you know, I work for Transport for London. Um, you know, everything that we do is at the scale of a city of about 10 million people. When you try doing the same things in India, you're trying to do these at the scale of uh, more than a billion people. So, I mean, the scale is just phenomenal. And that's why the opportunity that comes along with it is also phenomenal. And I also get the sense all the time that I'm doing this work that despite the difficulties of getting anything done in India, even if you can make a small difference, you know, multiplied by the scale, the impact is just enormous. And that's why, um, despite the frustrations and everything else, you know, I have been plodding along and carrying on doing these things. Some of the cultural things that uh, Vishwas pointed out, I think, are absolutely endemic. And, you know, the difference in the work culture, the difference in, you know, what making a commitment actually means. These are, uh, these are serious issues, and uh, they're, they're very, very frustrating if you're trying to get things done. I mean, especially this business about um, if you can't do something, at least tell me you can't do it so that I'm not relying upon it um, and I'm not having to chase on it. These are quite serious issues. But what I have noticed is that despite the difficulties of getting anything done. Um, if you keep at it, uh, things eventually happen. Uh, they may or may not happen in exactly the way you wanted them to happen, but things do happen. I mean, the country is progressing and growing because these things are happening. I mean, they're not happening by accident. 
So uh, for me, it's been at, at one level very frustrating because you can see the day-to-day problems of getting things done. On the other side, some of the things that I've done have had huge impact and that's what gives me a huge amount of satisfaction as well. But it's very different from the experience that Vishwas and Neeraj have had. But even working with um, other companies and outsourcing companies and all that, uh, we do have some experience of working with outsourcing companies, but they are largely with you know, a UK team that is then outsourcing a part of the business to India. So we don't have a direct outsourcing relationship with anyone in India as such. Right. Yeah. And I think my experiences, at least in my corporate past, were probably a little bit more aligned with the kinds of things you have experienced, Shashi. Uh, but we did have uh, uh, some significant presence in India. And some of the relationship pieces that you guys have all been talking about are very, very relevant. Um, I think uh, uh, the in the end, it's about finding, if you can find a couple of people in the organization, local organization, who really know the lay of the land, have the trust of the people there, and then you can build trust with them to be able to have very open conversations. That goes a long way. And physically being there, I guess you can't do this all on Zoom, physically visiting, uh, building relationships with the team, and maybe having some uh, long conversations uh, over dinner or coffee or whatever, and just understanding what's going on on the ground. It helped me a lot in figuring out you know, what was behind the first response, right? And uh, you're, you guys are absolutely right. It's very hard to convey bad news yeah. uh, in India. Uh, sometimes <laughs> you are forced to accept things in front of your superiors because they'll just say, you can do this, right? And everybody's got to nod their heads and say, yes, of course, we're going to get this done. What they're really saying is we're going to do our best to get it done. But then having those side sessions where you dig deeper and just, you know, make it a, a space where it's possible to expose some of the uh, vulnerabilities and some of the issues. And then you can make a more informed decision. Okay, now I really know what I'm getting into and, you know, what's involved. And then give the team the tools to make them succeed. Uh, I think uh, you're trying to say something here, Shashi. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, I mean, I've been sort of fortunate to be, uh, to have, you know, very direct working relationships, very senior people in government, you know, both politicians and civil servants. Uh, and that's really helped me get the work done. But what I have realized, and I think this is really important, is that I need to see them every three months. Uh, this is almost like, you know, a COVID vaccine where you need to keep giving boosters. You know, you, if, if that relationship is not tended to in person, in, by, by, face-to-face, every three months, things do slow down. Um, and it does take that sort of effort. You know, you, you cannot assume that you can sit there and sort of remotely manage these things. Um, you know, there is a degree of direct intervention that's needed. That's true. You know, in general, one of the things that uh, everybody's starting to learn about work from home and this whole change in the way we get work done, people are starting to see some of the inefficiencies of not meeting up in person. I think innovation suffers quite a bit. And when it's very strongly relationship-based, or as Neeraj said, uh, I think Vishwas said, there's a lot of communication involved in the service economy. Uh, things will break down if you're not uh, present and meeting people and really having that touch time. So I am also very bullish in India. And I think given today's geopolitics, uh, we're starting to acknowledge that, you know, there's so many great things about India in terms of the way it's structured. The, the Indian experiment with the billion people pulling all these states together and having a common entity with, you know, the ability to really do things at scale. Um, and being the largest democracy in the world. There's so many things that are driving it towards uh, more and more success. One of the things that uh, uh, I think all of us talk about is the 
level of talent available, right? But I also, one of the issues that I have struggled with, and I know a lot of people struggle with, is talent churn, right? Uh, people who are seeing all these opportunities coming their way, it just creates many more opportunities for them. And a lot of people uh, jump around, right? So uh, how do we, how, how have some of you managed that? I think Neeraj, you're probably dealing with this on a day-to-day -day basis. What is your experience with uh, labor churn, people moving around, you're having to constantly retrain? How does that, how has that impacted you? Oh, so that, that has been the biggest challenge, actually. <clears throat> so I was talking about setting up a company, all this paperwork. As long as you have the right people, you can get by it. Cultural, Vishwas is talking about, you can also kind of coach them and explain them what, you know, your US-based client or UK-based clients expect in terms of response, the timeliness. <coughs> Excuse me. But this turn has been the... <coughs> Sorry, guys has been the best challenge so i am in a in, in a place where if somebody's working for me i will take care of them they're my family and during covid when we shut down uh, the first two months mid-march to may were kind of heavy we had no direction from clients our us-based clients where we would go so we kind of shut down for those two months but when we had a little bit more information we started back our office and for people who could come to work we paid them full salary. People who could not, we paid them half the salary till something comes. So I always told them that you're my family. But even then, we saw some attrition. People left because they found a better opportunity or they did not want to work uh, given their family circumstances, which was fine. But the challenge was for me to rebuild that talent base, right? So <clears throat> during COVID, we actually hired more people than we needed. It's shocking to say that because everybody was cutting down costs, they were running operations on a bare minimum staff. We, on the other hand, actually had extra staff during COVID because we knew some of these people will leave for whatever reason and we need to have that talent back. Now, COVID is pretty much gone. We still have some extra staff <clears throat> and there are staff that keeps coming to us about the challenges they're facing and what they need to do. We look at on a case-by-case -case basis. If we feel this person is worth retaining and we need to offer them some extra money or some other benefit like a different working shift or transportation, we are definitely providing them. But even after that, there are some people who are like not satisfied and want to go on. At that point, I'm sorry to say that I cut off the ties. Like, you know, I this is the best I can do given my own circumstances, given my, uh, you know, <clears throat> ability to provide for you guys. And if that's not enough and you don't want it, I'm fine letting them go. At some point, you have to make a business decision. Um, maybe some people look at it differently. They, they look at it as, first as a business decision, then as a personal. Me, I always take it as a first, as a personal decision. These are my family. They've worked with me for three, four years. I got to take care of them. And what I try to do for them is not sufficient. Then I switch to the business mode saying, okay, you know what? sorry you gotta go you gotta go i'm gonna find somebody else but you have to be very objective at that point you cannot say oh this is vijay vijay sucks i'm not gonna let keep Vijay in my company you cannot suddenly make it a subjective or personal decision when you let go people it has to be very objective this is my price point this is what i expect from them to do this is what i'm looking for them to provide me back and if that's those conditions are not being met I'm going to go find somebody else. 
Yeah, those are, I think, establishing clear criteria and maybe also having strong managers on the ground who uh, embody whatever culture that you're trying to drive is so important. Neeraj and I completely agree. Uh, then I think uh, all of us are uh, pretty uh, sort of bullish on sort of the ability to set up these kinds of entities in India, which do a lot of work in the service sector. I'm curious, uh, what are the types of uh, things that a lot of people are outsourcing or setting up teams for in India, which was, you talked about analytics and stuff like that. Everything we seem to be talking about is really in the service arena. Uh, but of course, in terms of long-term growth, India is also trying to uh, do Make in India and trying to sort of shore up the manufacturing capabilities and you know be an alternative to China and bring lots of manufacturing on shore. What are, the, what are your thoughts, guys? And maybe I'll start with you, Vishwas, but uh, others can chip in on the types of work that, uh, are really done well in India and where, you know, the opportunities, you know, you don't have to do a lot of groundwork to get it going. It's not like the guy who stood in Shanghai and looked across the river and said, I'm going to have to <laughs> build Pudong. But there's good ecosystems and infrastructure in place and it's easy to do, whereas some other areas which might be more challenging. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, you know, my, my bachelor's degree in IIT Kharagpur was in manufacturing. Uh, and uh, and I can tell you that uh, manufacturing is the more challenging thing to bring uh, into a country. Uh, that is because uh, manufacturing uh, or, or make in India, uh, you know, related to uh, the manufacturing thread in this discussion. Manufacturing depends on uh, uh, what what are called industrial clusters. Now these are basically. Uh, groups of firms that work together to produce a product. You will have a number of suppliers. Uh, these suppliers will finally supply to, a, a, say, a firm, a, a factory that uh, that assembles your product. Uh, all of them work together to innovate to uh, uh, at the at the manufacturing level, at the product level, and over a period of uh, uh, decades, this becomes a very well networked and very integrated cluster now these things have been forming in uh, uh, you know in in, in in industries that are more well established these these things take decades to form it's it and it would take decades to uproot them and bring them out into into another country but there may be some geopolitical pushes for that so it's 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 relatively more difficult now on the services side on the other hand uh, things are relatively more easy to do uh, and having done that from a consulting and analytics perspective I can say that uh, there is a uh, the, the constraint over here is really in terms of uh, caution and conservatism of uh, the person who is accepting the service from from say from US or Europe and uh, usually the the, per, the 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 team or the captive that is supplying it is more often than not able to meet expectations and usually able to exceed them what I have seen is that there is a, a, a higher willingness uh, to experiment and and do this from 
US and uh, some of the more northern European countries, uh, Germany, for example. Uh, the, uh, some of the other uh, European countries are typically more conservative. They, they will be more cautious uh, in, in doing that, and there is also the language barrier over there. So that is a little more difficult. Now, what kind of work uh, uh, would be possible? I think uh, pretty much uh, most of the uh, work that involves a good amount of conceptualization and problem solving can be outsourced so uh, and, and can be serviced remotely and that has got a lot of Philip now because of COVID. So consulting and analytics are, are good examples to start with. Uh, research, design, uh, these are also uh, things that can be considered in terms of uh, a service chain that could, uh, you know, that could operate out of a country like India. Thanks, uh, Vishwas. That's, uh, I think that's aligned with uh, how we think about it. But I'm also actually very excited and bullish about where manufacturing can go in India. We, we know some very smart people from our uh, batch and uh, uh, sort of approximate batches in IIT and really, really good with the hardware and building things. And I'm hoping to see this also grow very quickly and, and well in India because there's so much promise uh, for that as well. But I think the point that you made about uh, being willing to experiment and try out India, I mean, getting into India and setting up uh, an entity, all the challenges that Neeraj described, I mean, those are things you have to do. But once you have the team thriving and uh, you have you know, a lot of work going on, another uh, key aspect then is how do you manage that team? How do you uh, put together maybe performance management uh, approaches and make sure that, you know, the those kind of things are being done well. And then the other piece, I guess, everybody has to think about is quality. How do you ensure that the quality of work is really good uh, and not, and, and sometimes it might just be uh, things not getting lost in communication, but also ensuring that uh, what is being delivered is meeting the uh, expectations of the customer. Uh, any thoughts there? Maybe Neeraj, I'll start with you. Uh, go ahead. Sure. So one of the things I've noticed working with my own team is Quality is not ingrained in them. Production is. So every time you ask somebody about, hey, how would you measure your own performance? They will talk about number of hours they put in, how many, how few vacations they have taken, how many units they have produced. Quality actually never, never shows up in the first top two or three metrics, right? And I've tried to push the idea of quality in them so much that when I go to India, and I try to meet my team managers, I actually ask them, hey, guess what's going to be my number one point today? And they all say quality. Uh, it's not something that comes very intuitive. I, I don't know why. And I've kind of talked to my team several times to put the idea of quality behind them. And part of I think that I see is a culture, right? It's a cultural thing. I asked my friends, hey, why do we even accept this kind of road in front of your house? Why do you even accept this kind of wiring in your own house. And they kind of go like, this is the way it is. And I think to me, that's unacceptable. That's one thing that I've tried to educate my team. Hey, quality comes first, production comes second. And in terms of performance management, same thing. When I look at their scorecard, production and quality are 50% of their scorecard. And they always talk about it like, but 
I did this, but I did that. I said, that comes later. If we cannot meet our own targets, and I'm talking again in terms of quality, then the, the client is not happy. The client is not satisfied because all this work is coming back and we are redoing it. That's a wastage. For me, a wastage in production is actually directly tied to the money, right? That's lost wages, that's lost revenue. So that has been my challenge uh, in terms of trying to switch their mindset where they put the quality as the number one KPI and rest all after that. And if they do that, based on the performance, you know, management scorecard or KPIs that I built, I said, hey, if you take your quality first in production, you would always be a top performer in my book. But maybe when they're coming from other industry, other, you know, service industry or outsourcing companies, I, I, I'm not sure if the focus is slightly different because uh, every time I've hired a new person and I meet him, he's talking about how much extra work he's doing. And I'm like, do you realize the extra work means that you are not doing it correctly the first time? <laughs> and, and that thought is not very easy to uh, push into them. It takes time to understand like, hey, yeah, if I were to do the same eight units in eight hours without mistake, that's much better for everyone. So uh, I would say that that has been my challenge and I've been trying uh, in different ways to inculcate, uh, to kind of bring that culture of uh, uh, the, the quality in my team. Yeah, Neeraj, I think uh, there are some parallels here to my experiences when I was uh, in India for three years. I think one of the things that I had to cut through was the same thing you're talking about, which was uh, hard work, right? So I've worked hard. Uh, I had many conversations with youngsters who would walk into my office and say, uh, sir, I I didn't get promoted this year. And why is that? I, I worked so hard. And, you know, they literally had put in a lot of hours. But these were not people who were entry-level engineers. These were people who had spent some years. And, uh, you know, to get promoted to the next level, there was an expectation of certain other kinds of uh, skills around uh, team building or soft skills that we talk about, right? Negotiating, uh, owning the whole thing rather than a piece. Uh, and it would be a very interesting conversation where I would sit them down and say, look, nobody is disputing the fact that you worked really hard, but here are the other things we're expecting to send you to the next level. And sometimes they just did not have clarity on what those things were. Uh, either they were not written down or were not explained properly because there'd always been this idea that if you just work hard, you will continue to proceed upwards. So I think having a, a clear uh, set of objectives and incentives and then rewarding those uh, expectations visibly when they happen, I think it's, it's critical. If you can showcase that here's here's some examples of people who are uh, climbing the ladder or who are getting rewarded because they are following these kinds of expectations. And if you can make all that become very visible, then over time that culture stakes starts taking uh, root and people start realizing that, okay, this is what I'm expected to do. And you know, obviously there are good examples around me who got rewarded for it. So if I do the same thing, I'll get there too. Um, I think we're getting uh, close to the end of today's uh, conversation, but I'm going to open it up uh, to Shashi and Vishwas to see if they have anything else to add here before we close. Just a quick word from me, uh, Vijay. I think look, from the outside, it looks incredibly frustrating. You know, people from the West, you know, people who are immigrants like us, go back to India and complain about everything. I think complaining is uh, kind of ingrained in, the, in our psyche as well. But you have to get beyond the complaining and see the opportunity here. Uh, there is an immense amount of opportunity. You've got to figure out how to um, uh, adapt your own style of working 
to take advantage of that and the opportunity is just immense. So I think uh, Vijay, you mentioned a very important thing uh, when you talked about ownership and, and I think uh, uh, there is some level of, uh, uh, you know, leadership and coaching that, uh, uh, that would be very helpful in the, especially in the early stages when uh, the teams or the businesses are getting off the ground. Because uh, uh, there is a, a, there is a lot of what what we call process orientation or uh, or mismatch in expectation in terms of you know what is what is expected in terms of the outcome uh, or or is is the is the expectation in terms of a result uh, the is it just a deliverable or is it a result that you're looking for that is that is one and the second is uh, even if even once we get started, uh, the push to keep raising the bar and to to look at how can we uh, do this better in terms of a, a better business outcome. Now that you know, once that uh, flywheel gets started, I think uh, things become a lot easier and uh, to manage and uh, and and a lot more productive. Yeah, as, as I always say, guys, nobody, at least most people, don't come into work thinking I'm going to do a really bad job today. I mean, everybody comes in wanting to, to contribute to the business. Uh, everybody, as I say, everybody likes to be a winner. Sometimes it's just a matter of setting them up for success. Uh, I, I think in India, at least my experience was that a lot of people in the organization did not really have a sense of empowerment that they could take control of the situation and run with it. And have the flexibility to figure out the answer. So breaking some of those hierarchical structures and allowing people to flourish, uh, bring their ideas forward, and then giving them a little bit of flexibility to actually go and experiment and try things and come back and proudly show that, look, I tried this, this worked out, maybe we can take this forward. I think creating a culture of that, I think is part of the overall uh, methodology of building up the culture that we're talking about. So anyway, great conversation. Uh, all of us, I think, are aligned that Lots of great things coming India's way. It's a, it's just a question of who will capitalize and who will make it happen. I'm hoping to be part of that along with you guys. Uh, but uh, we'll close on that note and let's see. Uh, we'll probably have a few follow-up conversations on this because there are a few interesting cultural pieces that we might dig into further. But for now, uh, have a great week, guys, and we'll catch up in a week or so. Take care.